This is the Restoring Hope Podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Matt Till. Welcome to the Restoring Hope Podcast, your no-fluff dose of inspiration to believe that hope is never lost, faith is not dead, and a better tomorrow is coming. Welcome back to another episode of the Restoring Hope Podcast. This is episode 16, Hope in a complex world. You know, complex problems don't have easy solutions, but simple acts, they do inspire hope for others. Um, I have been grieved by the news that is coming out uh, just today um, upon recording this. This is a Monday, August 16th, as I'm recording it, and um, just the news coming out of the world. Uh, We had a massive earthquake occur in Haiti, which has already been a very poor and impoverished country, um, wrought with all sorts of corruption, um, but also just despair, human despair. um, But then on top of it, what we're seeing coming out of Afghanistan today. And um, it was interesting trying to explain to my eight, almost nine-year-old daughter today as to what is happening in the other side of the world. Um, And I had to back up and tell her all about September 11th, 2001, because it clearly predates her um, in her life. And to tell her about this um, awful thing that had happened um, here on our, in our country, uh, about the terrorist attacks that occurred then, and then try to explain it to her and let her know why we've been at war for 20 years, and then what is happening now today. What's interesting is that she was introduced to uh, some of the things that are going on in this world uh, through a book called I Am Malala. And uh, you might be familiar with uh, Malala. And uh, she was she's a Pakistani and she was shot in the head by the Taliban because she was uh, advocating for women and girls to go to school. And my daughter's been reading a young reader's edition of this book, so she's familiar with the phrase the tal you know the Taliban and and some of the ways in which their ideological beliefs and um, how they have restricted women and girls to attend school, and so she already kind of has this little bit of interest and passion for something like this, and then to hear about how we are as America withdrawing from this war completely is obviously mixed with all sorts of emotions. And for you who are an adult who may remember, of course, if you were alive on, uh, at, at the time of September 11th and you were watching your TV, of course, you would know and be glued to that really that life-altering, shaping mo- uh, moment in our history and uh, how we even entered this war in the first place. And so you may be filled with all sorts of feelings today um, as to we seeing the news. Some may be rejoicing, some may be hurting, some may feel betrayal. Um, and and I, I understand that. And today we're not going to make judgments on, on whether this is a policy that should have taken place or not. Uh, that is not my hope here today. But rather to sit in the complexity and rather to sit in uh, the frustration and the sadness as to what is happening right now to the Afghan people but also to reflect on the complexities and all that has been lost um, in uh, through those 20 years of war. And uh, many will feel, perhaps, what was that all for? That is a natural, natural thing to feel right now. And um, some of you may have lost a loved one, um, perhaps a son, a daughter, a niece, a nephew, a grandson, a granddaughter, 
maybe even a father or a mother, uh, as a result of that war because uh, they fought bravely um, during that season, during over the last 20 years, um, in, a, in a war and in a conflict that perhaps we didn't fully understand um, or perhaps we didn't fully provide all the necessary resources for. Uh, whether we succeeded or failed, that is for the history books to decide. But um, to feel the emotions of anger and sadness, frustration, maybe even joy to know that it's over, um, are all natural and normal. So wherever you are today, I want you to know that I see you and um, that uh, your God sees you and that he hears you and he can take your frustration and he invites you to, um, to bring that frustration to him. But we have to remember that complexity um, does not uh, have simple solutions. And so often right now, uh, there's just going to be offerings of simple solutions. Uh, As a matter of fact, the simplest solution that people are going to come up with right now is just simply accusing uh, uh, political leaders, both past and present. Uh, Some will choose to defend them, past and present. But neither one of those is really helpful, to be honest, because uh, war is complex. Societies are complex. Cultures are complex. Understanding the dynamics of the world that we live in is complex. It's not as black and white as we would always like it to be. And this is nothing new. And of course, if you've been listening to the Restoring Hope podcast, you will know that um, I want to be those who sit in that messy middle. I want us to engage in that messy middle and understand that there's nuance and complexity in this world. And we have to sit in that and know that there can't always just be simple answers to everything. Is there good? Yes. Is there evil? Yes. Can those things be black and white? Usually, most often, always. <laughs> However, there is complexity that, that takes place as to how do we engage with good or evil. And we look to our God. We look to a higher power. We look to a greater source. We look to a greater hope of inspiration to help us to engage in the complexity, even when it comes at great personal cost, because this is actually the calling of what it means to be one who has faith. We have faith in a higher ideal. We have faith in a coming kingdom that is um, announced to us by God through his son, Jesus. And so for us, we long for that, but sometimes it can cause us to disengage depending upon our theology and where the church is or how we've come to understand the scriptures, it could cause us to disengage and leave people to their own devices, to their own fate. Well, that's them and that's their problem now and they're going to have to deal with it, but I'm fine. I'm secure. But I call us to suggest otherwise that our theology actually demands that we not sit on the sideline. Our theology actually demands that we be engaged in positive and in constructive, hope-filled ways for the world, and that we cannot leave people to their own fate. That once we know what their fate is, it is not in our best interest to leave them that way. Now, for the agnostic, (laughs) for the atheist, perhaps for the one who's nominal in their faith, that may be fine. And quite honestly, if you're feeling like just leave people up to their own faith, you might be the agnostic. Well, I believe in God, but I don't think he calls me to go and, and inspire hope in everyone. 
Well, then I beg you to reread your scriptures. I beg you to reread and understand the calling of Jesus and re-ask yourself, where do I really stand? Who do I really follow? To whose disciple am I really? This is our theology that actually demands that we not sit on the sideline. It demands that we take a posture that inspires hope for others and that we not fall into the traps that everyone wants us to fall into. Now, we have to be careful, of course, because um, th- this can be tricky. This can be really, this can be really uh, very tricky. And actually, some might argue that we got into this conflict because we were trying to inspire hope and we were trying to seek justice and we were trying to defeat evil. But we also realized that when we did that, perhaps we created additional problems and additional issues. We don't fully see it all yet. But it's complex, and we need to sit in the complexity. And so for us, even though complex problems don't have easy solutions, simple acts, simple acts of mercy and justice and love do inspire hope for others. And they're not easy to do, and they're challenging, and they require a lot of courage and bravery. I want us to take a look at, um, I want to share this passage from you. This is from uh, Jesus, uh, the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 25. He's, he's talking about this final judgment that's going to occur. This is really the pinnacle of the hope that we have as Christians, is that Jesus is going to return. Jesus not only died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, he rose uh, again three days later, which is what we celebrate on Easter morning, and then he was ascended into heaven, and now he sits uh, in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. And so we await, though, because Jesus spoke, spoke to us uh, this way, he, he taught us this, and then also he, his disciples continued on this tradition that Jesus will return. He, he, he's an ascended, he's a risen and ascended person of God who, and his son that was um, risen again for the redemption and the restoration of sin and uh, evil to, to, to bring about good in this world and to restore the world and to create something new again, to create all things new again, as it says in the book of Revelation. And so we're not going to get too far into the weeds on this because there are all sorts of different types of theories as to how this is all going to come down. And that's not of interest today. But what is of interest is the orthodox belief that God's not done with us, that God is not done with this, um, with humanity, but he's actually actively working out his salvation for us, that he is actively working out a better plan and a better world. Even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of the complexity, there is still hope to be had. And it's not just in the future reality, but it can actually begin to take place in the present. And that's where hope comes from, is that we all have this, we have a future Uh, we have these grounded uh, truth that we hold on to and an understanding of the future that is going to be brought about. And so for that, we have hope for that day. And because we have hope for that day, we can actually begin to inspire hope in others. But that hope isn't just to be delayed gratification, but actually can be brought about in the present. And let me just talk specifically about this, because this is what Jesus even calls his disciples to do. And he's talks about this final judgment when the son of man or himself, Jesus is going to return. And then there's going to be this great judgment of 
Who's with me? Who has been with me? Who has chosen to follow in my ways? Who has chosen sacrifice and love and forgiveness and mercy over oppression, over hate, over anger, over bitterness, over jealousy, over selfishness, right? So he, th- these are the ones who are going to be with me. And those are the ones in whom he's talking about the separation of sheep and goats. He's using this in, uh, farming agriculture analogy. And then when he says, um, when the king, meaning Jesus himself, when he returns, he's going to look to the right, he's going to look to the left, and he looks to those who are on his right, meaning those who are um, in good favor with him. He's going to say to them, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. That's Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 and 36. And then he goes on to tell the story, and, he, and, he, and the righteous ones are going, well, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we ever see you that you were thirsty and needed something to drink? Or when did we ever see you as being a stranger or naked or sick or even in prison? We've never seen you in any of those situations. And he goes on, he says, I tell you the truth. When you did it, meaning when you did any of those things to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. He's personifying the act of goodness and kindness and love and justice and mercy to his children, to humanity, to the families of the earth. And he says, whenever you have done it to the least of these, any one of these who are my children, my brothers and my sisters, not even just my children, but my brothers, my sisters, my family, whenever you have done that to any of them, you have, it is like as if you have done it for me. Who are you living for today, my friend? If you're living for yourself, these are things that you do not do. You don't feed the hungry. You don't give a drink to the thirsty. You don't invite the stranger in. You don't clothe the naked and the poor. And you definitely don't care for the sick. And you don't visit those who are imprisoned. And the list can go on. It's not exclusive either. The scripture speaks so much more about the orphaned, the widow, the oppressed, those who are hurting, those who are uh, injustices occurring. What about the black and brown communities that still feel the effects of systemic racism? How about the poor around the world, and those who do not have the resources to build adequate homes and shelters? And what about those who are left behind in Afghanistan who are now going to face an oppressive regime in which women and children will no longer be educated? Once we know, you can't no longer know. 
and to those who have done to the least of these, it is as if we have done to the Father, to the Son. This is the calling that we have. This is who we are. This is who we live for. This is the hope that we have. So rather for us today, rather than sitting in the mess of complexity and wondering, what should I do? (laughs) Or accusing leaders for failures or defending our favorite political horse. Instead, we should be asking ourselves, how can I receive the foreigner? How can I receive the refugee? How can I receive the poor, the hungry? the orphaned, the widowed, the imprisoned, and the oppressed. We should be asking ourselves that today as we watch and we see and hear about the news. And then, because these problems are so big and they are so complex, I recognize that very few of us are going to have any significant, tangible means of transforming the world on our own. But we can be a part of a movement of restoring hope. We can advocate for how we choose to receive. Write about it on social media. Talk to a friend. Write your representative. Start a fundraiser. Join a fundraiser. Organize your church or community group around a common cause. Doing something is better than doing nothing. And it is, in fact, you can take great comfort in knowing that God sees you. And with the right heart and the right intention, he says, you have done today for the least of me, to the least of these. It is as if you have done the same for me. And those are the words of our God spoken over you. That is, in fact, who we are as people, those who claim to faith in Jesus and who are about a restorative movement of hope. Restoring hope in this complex world starts with restoring our hearts and it starts with restoring our minds. And then after that, it's acting on those new and better convictions that is deep down within us. And I believe too that we just need to reorient ourselves around this important truth because hope is around the corner. Hope is not lost, faith is not dead, and a better tomorrow is coming. Thanks for listening to the Restoring Hope Podcast. This is a listener-supported podcast. So when you listen, share the podcast and donate, you're helping keep hope alive for others. You can visit anchor.fm forward slash restoring hope. Again, that's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M forward slash restoring hope to learn more how you can support the Restoring Hope podcast. Until next time, remember to keep the faith and to inspire hope in others. A better tomorrow is coming. <laughs>